the greatest leader without shadow of doubt is, is Jesus Christ. And when you look at who Jesus was, there was an authenticity to Jesus, you know, unquivering, unshaken authenticity. And I think when you are a man, a woman of faith, the authenticity of who you are will come leaking out. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Emma and Chris. How are you doing guys? I'm doing good, thanks, yeah. Yeah, I'm very good. A little bit hungry, not going to lie, but um, feeling good, feeling ready for this lovely chat. Right, well in this episode we'll be hearing from ex-footballer and current England under-21 coach Michael Johnson. He shared his journey as a Christian in football and reflects on the current progress of race relations in the sport. But before we go any further, it's of course time for Emma's Dilemmas. Okay, so usually I go for a more um, humorous dilemma, but I just thought today maybe I could go with a more serious one. So the dilemma is that your friend tells you that they've committed a crime. And they explain they're having trouble sleeping and they feel that you are the only person that they can trust with their confession. But a few days later, you read in the newspaper that someone's been arrested for your friend's crime. (laughs) So do you go to the police and tell them what you know? Or do you tell your friend, like, you've got to confess, otherwise I will? Or do you say nothing? And let somebody else go down for your friend's crime. <laughs> Is this a test? What have you, yeah, what have you done? Um, what are you trying <laughs> to slowly breach? <laughs> Just you... want to see if you guys will throw me in jail or not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're trying to criminalise us right here so that if we say the wrong answer, it's like, well, you're now liable for for crime and you're known as deceitful and all that kind of thing. So... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to say it's a petty crime. It's a small. It's not going to be like a big, big, big crime. My my but first yeah, question. My first question was going to be how big was is is the crime or how severe is the crime? Which I think in itself like shows the kind of road that I'm going down. Where it should just be like, no, yeah, I definitely turn them in. But for me, I'm like, well, what is it? What can we get away with? It, it? is dependent. I remember when um, a couple of my friends got caught uh, shoplifting at Woolworths. Oof. Uh, back in Woolworths. the day. I mean, some people weren't listening, won't even know what Woolworths <laughs> is. Um, but I remember they got caught uh, shoplifting. And it was one of those weird things. You know, in school, like, sometimes people get in trouble for stuff that happened outside of school. And it's like, well, really, what's this got to do with you? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, they were proper hunting down who it was. I remember the head teacher was like, please come forward if you have any information. And I was just like, you know what? It's just a, it's some sweets. I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna g out my friends just for. Do some you think sweets. that's the reason that Woolworths went down? So you have been in this dilemma. This is actually my life, my life story. To this day, it still haunts me. This dilemma. I don't know if I've done the right thing. Man, do you think that maybe you should have turned them in? Nah, to be honest, nah. I think it was alright. Like I don't know. It was like so inconsequential when you when you look back. I don't think anyone. If we changed that moment. I don't think anyone's life would be any different. I don't know. I feel like we need to go in depth and, and visit the lives of your friends now and like see what might have happened if you'd stepped in and sure, they'd have got into trouble, but maybe their life would have been different in some way. Maybe that was the moment, Chris, and we've passed it by. 
But we have to like bring in the element that makes this such a dilemma, which is so imagine you're in that scenario, but then other students are getting pinned for this crime. Mm. Then would you tell mm. if you saw that other people were like saying there was someone else? I think I would put pressure on the people who who perpetrated the crime to come clean themselves. I'd put a lot of pressure on them. I'd be like, you know what, this isn't fair. You know what you've done. I know what you've done. I'm not going to do this for you, but this is an important learning moment for you in your life, in your development as a year eight student. <laughs> yes. Or would it be the gangster cliche of like horse's head in the bed? That's more the technique that you're going down, isn't it? Like you say, oh, just a subtle conversation, but you'd you'd be like on it, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know that I know until you confess. Yeah. I'd like to think. No, I wouldn't just like to think. I'm going to say with 100% confidence, I would do the right thing, as painful it would be. And um, and if I had to, I would confess on their behalf. Or not confess <laughs> on their behalf. It was me. I would say, like, look, it was these guys. You, you've got the wrong person. Yeah. I think I'd really bring Jesus into the situation as well. And I would just say, look, I'm going to have to confess because I know the truth, even if you're not going to. However, I Jesus forgives you, so I forgive you. I love nice. you. The law may not at this moment, <laughs> but it's there for a reason. So, yeah, like you can still go to heaven, <laughs> but you just need to, like, you need to do the right thing, you know. So yeah, just bring a bit of eternity, eternal oh, perspective in. I like it. I wish that was my answer now. <laughs> yeah, um, so but also, you know. We now know who's responsible for the downfall of all of us. <laughs> it was a few of Chris's friends stealing you some pick and mix. Are, if you're listening, yeah. I mean, I'd be surprised yeah. if you are. And now look at them. Maybe that's the thing. If they, if I did step in, maybe they'd be on the podcast right now instead of me. You know, maybe they would have made it there. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of petty crime, I do remember being in Sainsbury's once with a friend, and she stole bread. Like she stole. <laughs> a French breadstick and it's literally like 20p and I was just really confused because she just walked out holding it I was like oh did you mean and I was making it really obvious by accident I was like oh did you mean to take that I don't think you've paid yet (laughs) and then she's like just keep going I was like you stealing bread (laughs) I'm like the worst person to have with you if you want to commit a crime (laughs) great well thanks Emma for this week's question I feel like we're all saying how truthful we'll be whether that's the actual truth or not I'm not sure but if you're listening at home and you want to submit your own dilemma head to we are tear fund on Instagram and leave us a message next up it's what in the world Welcome to What in the World, where we discuss the latest in news and current affairs. Emma, what are we talking about today? Last week, it was announced that police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty of the murder of George Floyd. His death led to some of the biggest protests against police brutality worldwide. And as we approach one year on and with the recent conviction, do you think that much has changed? I think the conviction was like a huge almost like a sigh of relief, I think, for people who've been following it, for people who, who have been kind of, uh, in, yeah, on this journey of kind of understanding uh, racial injustice and the and the reality of it today. Um, so in that one sense, yeah, I think, I think him being found guilty was like 
actually, oh, wow, like, genuinely we've seen so many times where these things don't go in that direction, where people go scot-free. So I think it's really a really important step that that's happened. And um, I can only be optimistic and hope that uh, further further along the line as we move forward, that that means more accountability of the actions of police officers. And it's obviously, like, like I said, it's a good thing, but there's still obviously a lot of work to do, um, you know, black people and people of colour are still being discriminated discriminated against and killed. You know, just recently we had Dante Wright, who's a 20-year-old father who was shot and killed by a 26-year-old, a 26-year veteran officer who claimed she thought uh, she was using a taser as opposed to her gun. Uh, we've seen even uh, a few a few weeks, months ago, um, the Stop Asian Hate movement kind of picking up steam after the reaction to the mass shooting that happened in Atlanta where six Asian women were killed and two others um so yeah so I, I i would be really i'd be really cautious to say that we've moved far far enough down the road you know it reminds me of um we talked about it once it reminds me of michael bournet's uh spoken word piece that he did at the justice conference where he talked about almost equal not being an existing thing it's like you either you're equal or you're not and until we get to that point mm. we can't slow down we can't over celebrate and, and pretend that like we're we've made it that we're there but in the same breath i want to like also i don't want to be one of those people just like we can't we can't celebrate that we can't say that's good because this no it's like this is a good step and i think change as as Miriam said on one of our recent podcasts change is a slow gradual process yeah i get for you guys how have you kind of processed not only this moment not only the conviction but i guess the whole last year and everything that's led to this point yeah, so I think um, one thing that I actually saw someone speaking about on social media yesterday, so I can't take any credit for it whatsoever, um, but they were saying the conviction of Derek Chauvin isn't really, it doesn't feel like justice because when somebody has died, it's really hard for that to ever feel just, like mm. anything that comes after that because they haven't got their life, like there, there isn't anything for them here on earth like they're gone mm. and how how is that justice but actually what it was was accountability mm. and although it's not justice accountability is actually still something that is so important and actually it's there's such a lack of accountability as we've seen um across the police force in America and beyond like people not being held accountable for the things that they say and the way that they behave towards others um so yeah I just think that that really rung true for me that it's not necessarily it wasn't necessarily a moment of justice but it was a moment of accountability um but also then reflecting on this past year and just thinking yeah like actually has much been done like has much changed and maybe people have made more commitment towards a more just world but actually are people being held accountable and I think that creates a huge shift in what we do. And I, to be honest, I don't think people are being held accountable enough. I think um, we need to see way more accountability. And even um, with the race report that um, the UK government brought out, that just showed people aren't taking responsibility. There's no accountability mm. for um, the way that people are being treated in society. And then how we saw the literally that same week or around that same time as that report came out saying that there is no basically no such thing as institutional racism. There was that the school in Pimlico and the students were protesting um, 
the the school's rules that were very racist about mm. what they can and can't wear and how they can and can't have their hair and it just it felt so unjust that mm. actually the government can say oh that like there's no such thing as institu- institutional racism yet there are school children who are literally having to protest themselves against rules that should not be there in the first place mm. um so yeah i think Although there has been shifts and a lot more conversations, which are always a positive, I think, yeah, it's definitely um, feels like there needs to be more accountability still. I think from my perspective, I'm reluctant to give kind of a authoritative answer or, or f- feeling even on whether things have changed. I don't think it's my place to do that because I'm not impacted by racial injustice um, anywhere near as as much as as others obviously i think from my personal observation the conversation that has happened in the last 12 months has driven the media to to focus more on issues of racial injustice and i think the uh, terrible incidents that we're seeing still um the the um profile on social media and the outcry on social media i think is heightened because of the events of last June, 12 months ago um, and, and onwards. And so I, I think there is there is a bit of a change there that, that's happened. And I think that's a good shift. And I think we've seen that, you know, as in the interview today on the podcast with, with Michael Johnson, we spoke a little bit about the whole taking the knee in football and the, uh, the kind of division between taking the knee as an action and then what others conceive as actual steps being taken and the need for both Mm. and so the need for some of um the just signaling and some of the intentional uh, prioritization of i'm taking a knee i'm making a stand so that it is continues to be public that needs to be paired with action um and so i think ultimately it's the action that that counts isn't it and i don't know what you guys feel about about that because right at the at the start 12 months ago there was the moment where everyone was sharing black squares on their social media and there was a bit of um you know obviously overwhelming um take up of of that as a a symbol that something needs to be done but at the same time some people were saying well is that is that a good action is that just um signposting and, and signaling without sub- substantial action. So I don't know if you guys from that and from other moments have um, have any thoughts on on those two kind of different signaling and action. Yeah, I think it's so it's so difficult, really, because at the end of the day, you can't really like tell everyone's intentions. Like I think a lot of people did do that with the with the like intent just to virtue signal, or almost out of just kind of like a guilt reflex of like, I want to make sure you know that I'm not one of the ones who thinks this is okay. Um, and I think there is something even in that. Uh, but I think we've seen over the year, like where it's just been transparent and it's just been like, Oh, there's nothing in this. It's just very hollow. Like for example, uh, the book publisher, Simon and Schuster, they were out, they were like tweeting their support saying, yeah, we stand by black lives. And then you fast forward, not even a whole year, and uh, on their slate of of upcoming releases, they've got a book written by one of Breonna Taylor's killers, and you're just like these things don't equate. And it was only until they succumbed, succumbed to social media pressure and criticism that they actually cancelled that. And so I think, yeah, I think the I think the call to like learning and to unlearning 
racial bias and stuff like that has been so important um but i think it's always been step one and i think step two is is starting to actually think about okay in my context and even outside of my context as well how can i start to action that how can i start to not only call out racism but actually start to build infrastructures that don't allow that to creep in um and i think once we start to do that we're going to see we're going to see that more equal world come together and I think a huge part of it is imagination you know I think we particularly in the last year where we're all stuck indoors we get to a point where we just kind of like have this idea of what life is or the extent to which life can change and get better um, and I think even with like conversations around defunding police and and even abolishment and stuff um, some of those some of those conversations can feel like quite out there sometimes. But when you just do some reading and actually look at what's been done in other places, like I remember reading like a report on this uh, village in Mexico where there was no police presence, but it was all kind of like governed by the community. And it's like, oh, wow, there's actual like frameworks to not only just like learn about what's happened, but actually to change the future so that what's happened before doesn't happen again. Um, so, yeah, so I think that would be my mm-hmm. my challenge to everyone including myself is actually how can we action the learning that we've done how can we action the awareness that we've gained great thanks for your thoughts guys as we move forward let's remember to keep up the fight against racial injustice and not just to speak out about it but also do what we can in our spheres of influence to make a difference next up it's time to hear from michael johnson and this interview was recorded before the super league fiasco of last week My name's Michael Johnson. Um, God, dear, where do I start? Started playing <laughs> football in the early 90s under um, Neil Warnock in Knox County. Then moved to Birmingham as a 21-year-old and was there for nine years. Um, got promotion to the Premier League and played in a, a major cup final at Birmingham. And then at Birmingham, got selected to play for Jamaica, um, my parents' place of birth. And then at 30 years old, nine years later, went to Derby County for five years. Again, got promoted with Derby County to the Premier League. Um, and then at 35, went back to Notts County where we all started and retired at 37. Um, since retiring, which is 10 years ago, which I can't believe is 10 years ago, <laughs> um, I then went into Notts County to do the under-18s for two years. Went to Birmingham City for four years where I did all the age groups, not not at one time, but I would go in on a particular day and they would say to me, Michael, could you work with the under nines? Then next day, could you do with the under 18s? Then went to Cardiff for two years, back to Derby County. Um, and then in 2018, I got my first head coach's role as head coach for Guyana, who had never qualified for a major tournament. Um, and I took the post and in, tw- in 2019, a year later, we qualified for Ghana's first ever uh, major tournament, which was the Gold Cup in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, came back from there, and I'm currently the England Under-21 coach. Um, I've also just started a sporting director role at Limerick Football Club, which is a club in Ireland. Yep. Um, so that's currently where I'm at at the moment. There's a number of other things I could add, but I think that might use, yeah, sure. use the minute up. <laughs> and we can get to those other things as, as we go. I think yes. it's really important for me to 
to uh, fly my flag early and say I'm a Wolves fan. Ooh. So, um, yeah, so any, any the, re- <laughs> the, the way the rest of this interview goes might be based on on that information. <laughs> but um, I remember you well from those Birmingham City days. We uh, we were down in the championship in, in mm. those days. We got promoted 2003. So, um, uh, and I think you, you guys were up there when we got promoted and there's a bit Ooh. of, I feel like with Birmingham, there's been a bit of, back and forth rivalry where you know you guys your main rivals were Aston Villa and ours were West Brom but then whenever we got the opportunity yeah. there was some friendly rivalry there as well so it was always bragging rights on that game the, yeah the Wolves and Birmingham were too close all in the West Midlands so it was always that kind of who's the top dog in the West Midlands yeah, yeah. rivalry. great well we're going to chat to you a little bit about your role in, in football and also what you're up to now because um having a read through couple of different uh, sources about what you're up to it's, it's really interesting but let's start with the role that faith has played throughout your career there are a couple of industries I guess that from the outside look quite difficult to be a, a Christian in and to live out your faith in and, and I think fo- football f- for me from the outside is is one of those was was that ever the case for you in your career was it difficult for you to um, to live live differently and, and live for Jesus in that context yeah definitely especially early on in your career, you know, your, your late teens, early 20s, mid-20s, I'd say. Um, you know, I, I remember struggling with my faith because um, I'd always had an awareness of faith, being brought up in the church, Pentecostal. Um, so I always knew. Um, mm-hmm. But then, th- then there comes a time then you, you think that you're Superman, you're the, you know, you're the one that can do it all on, on yourself. And so you, you move away from a lot of what you, you know and and so through your teens and your twenties, you know, it it was quite difficult to hold on to my faith. In fact, sometimes I didn't even think about it; just completely um, forgot, moved on. And you lived a life that you know you, you look back on now, and you know you you kind of embarrassed the life that you lived, and, and without obviously, you know, recognizing that the faith was the pillar of of, of who you are, the bedrock. But I always said it in those moments. You know, there's 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 always purpose to your life because you've gone through so many challenges that to still be here, there's a purpose yeah. to why you're still here. So yeah. even in those dark moments of loneliness, of, you know, pure sinfulness, that there's still a, a gracious father who still is there waiting for you to come through all that, to mm-hmm. try and help you to be the individual that you are. And, and so when I reached 30 years old, there was a real... Um, moment that me and uh, my, one of my best friends well my what is my best friend Darren Moore and uh, locked horns and, and that was um for me the moment that I kind of crystallized my faith back um and so yes there was a moment that I completely forgot completely tried to move away from it but then you realize you can't do it all on your own and, and eventually mm. 30 years old my faith was crystallized again by Darren Moore yeah. And and since that moment, I guess, since you're 30, you've been in a lot of positions of influence through mm. management, as you were mentioning, through coaching. How do you bring your faith in that influence? You know, we've got a lot of people listening who have a faith who find themselves in lots of different walks of life doing different jobs. How did your faith start to impact you as you became a leader? And what advice would you give to other leaders generally in any sphere of, of how to how to balance that and how to bring your faith to the leadership role? Well, the greatest leader without shadow of doubt, is, is Jesus Christ. 
And when you look at who Jesus was, there was an authenticity to Jesus, you know, unquivering, unshaken authenticity. And I think when you are um, a man, a woman of faith, the authenticity of who you are will come leaking out. It cannot be any other than who you are. And so what I read comes out. You know, we eat garlic, the garlic will come out in your pores. And it's the same way when you're a person of faith that, you know, you, you know, there will be moments and times when obviously I'll talk about my faith. But I think more often than not, just the, the things, the sensitivity, the emotional intelligence, the thoughtfulness, the appreciation, um, but also the firmness of a leader who is always taking into consideration people's uh, and feelings, thoughts, will then start to portray who you really are. And there's been times when, you know, that has led people to ask questions about the kind of leadership, you know, why did you do that? Why did you show me that bit of kindness? And then there's a great point yeah. for you to then start to talk about, yeah. well, there's a little bit more to me than what you, what you think. And does that happen a lot in your oh, um, yeah. in your roles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly when I was at Guyana. Um, yeah. You know, for me, that was ordained to happen. You know, I, I dreamt it. And and so one of the things that we did was on every time we were there, we, we had um, camps where we had prayer meetings. And even down to the last game that we needed to qualify. And I knew we was going to do it before kickoff. Mm-hmm. And and we gathered around the centre circle before the game. And I said to them in front of the whole watching country that this will be a moment that you will never forget for the rest of your lives. Um, and from a Christian aspect, you know, there's something special about to happen to your country and you need to know this. Mm. And the minute we qualify, I want us all to gather here and pray. And we qualified and I've got the most amazing picture of all the players, squad, staff, wow, pray, that's so praying, in this, praying in the centre circle in front of a watching nation. Yeah. And that's, for me, is, is so powerful to see. You know, you, you can forget, for me, the qualifications, even though it was yeah. a fantastic achievement. But the fact that, you know, through sport, through football, through an individual, which happened to be tiny old me, it was such a um, moving feat to be able to deliver that and see what happened in a dream yeah. actually come to fruition. And then as you said, through me, there's a moment where whether you're Christian or not, you are joining in this moment. Yeah. And and I love that. I love your approach, which is the approach we should all have, right? Which is, yes, the immediate job in front of me is to manage a football team and the immediate immediate goal in front of me is to qualify for a tournament. But actually, the ultimate goal is to make sure more people know about Jesus. I bet that moment of prayer at that final whistle when you qualified, I mean, that must have been something special. Oh, it's amazing. It crystallises everything. And, you know, in your moment of euphoria, in your moment of joy, it's great that the very first thing mm. is about Christ. And it was great to share that moment with believers and non-believers who now some of the non-believers are believers. And yeah. it's so it's so um, wonderful to see how you know, Christ can permeate any country, any environment, 
any human being, use anybody. Well, if mm-hmm. you can use a donkey, you can use me, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so, so it, it, it's wonderful to see. And, and so for me, you know, everything I do, everything I am is, is Christ. I, I, without him, you know, I'm as, as foolish as, as somebody who, who probably would get thrown out, thrown out of school because they're not good <laughs> enough to, to sit certain exams. You know, I, I know, I know who I am. Yeah. And, and I guess your role is very different with England. Um, but is there a similar amount, a level of openness to, to faith and that, that kind of thing? I, or I imagine oh, yeah. it's, it's a little different, is it or not? Oh yeah, it's the same. I'm, I am who I am. Um, certain times, you know, you don't even have to say something. You can just walk, you can just show care and you can just show emotion. You can just be sympathetic. You mm-hmm. can just smile. You can just engage. Certain times, you know, certain times, you know, to be still is is, abs- is, is a skill in itself. Um, and, and so for me, I just think the way that a human being behaves and portrays even though you don't think people are watching there's people watching mm. and and so it's not always where you have to open a bible out and i i do that but it's sometimes that the very nature of who you are yeah the way that you are is is enough for people to say there's something about yeah. there's something about this person yeah, definitely. And you need both of those, don't you? Because, you know, we're, we'll be known by the fruit that we produce. You know, we're, we're told that Absolutely. a lot. And so there is there is obviously, you know, the the aspect of um, diving into the, the word of God, uh, personal relationship with God. But also the actions are quite important because people will know us because of yeah. the way that we act. And they will know that we're different and set aside because of the fruit that we bear. And if we're not if we're not behaving differently and we, if we're not bearing fruit, then. You know, yeah. it's, it becomes all pointless, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's, for me, that's a great point of engagement to open a Bible mm. is is to show people, you know, the fruits of the spirit and who you are and the kind of human being. And we don't yeah. always get it right. We are human. But more often than not, I try and have a moral compass about me as a person. I live by certain values on a daily basis. Yeah. And I, and I try not to move away from those values. They mm. are tested. particularly Mm. in this environment um but you know what's been quite clear to me is is that you can preach just by the way you 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 conduct your your life and the way that you are as an individual yeah yeah definitely um you've worked with a lot of people over the years um in football do any um great leaders stand out in particular you mentioned starting with Neil Warnock that must have been a good place to start right but who who are some of the, the best leaders you worked under and what made them a good leader it's interesting because um, a lot of the leaders that I look at and, and valued back then, you know, they were very worldly. And, and, but, <laughs> but you know what? They, they were good people. Yeah. And they they shown leaderships in different ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen Neil Warnock shout it at half time. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. In clips and that kind of thing. So maybe he, yeah, it's a particular a, style, isn't it? Yeah. He, and I think at that time, um, you know, that was early 90s. Mm. Didn't have the insights that we do in leadership and a lot of the yeah. TED Talks and everything that we listen to yeah. now. Um, and it was a style of leadership, very um, autocratic, very, I say, you do. 
Um, yeah. but, it, but it got him results. Um, I don't think you can, um, you know, continue to have that kind of leadership style. At, you know, at this particular moment in life, I think the world's moved on. Um, youngsters now, you know, probably wouldn't listen to that sort of, you know, individual. But you know, back then that was a definite. You know, in terms of being success successful, was a Neil Warnock sort of character. Yeah, yeah. And who who were the better leaders then? You mentioned this kind of need for a, a democratic, I guess, walking alongside the people you're leading more ap- approach. Um, were, were there managers you played under that modelled that? Yeah, so Sven Goran Eriksson came to Knox County when I when I had retired, and he was the complete polar opposite in terms <laughs> of very you know very calm, very assured of himself, self confidence, didn't raise his voice. Um, but his opinion just carried so much weight. Yeah, he knew you know he knew that how to get the job done, um, and I I really appreciated his style of leadership, um, completely different than what I've been used to, which has always been you know ranting and raving and banging tables and yeah you know. But Sven was completely the opposite. Very calm very composed, you know, articulate with his words. There was never a word wasted on him. Yeah. And you kind of got that impression even from the outside, um, obviously not the day-to-day and the, the tactical insight and the uh, listening to people around him, but um, he, you could see he wasn't the kind of hairdryer treatment at half time. No, no de- <laughs> definitely not. He just spoke yeah. really calm and measured. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, the, the room would literally hang on to his every word. And have you brought some some of the lessons you learned from him to your management in in Guyana? Absolutely. Um, I'm not a ranter and raver. You know what? There's there's something about leadership, and you you just where where the perception of the world is to be a good leader. You've actually got to be really you know up and at him, yeah. and you know you've got to be fearless, and you've got to be able to demand things, and 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 you know it, for me. The kind of leadership that I am is very much the other side of the coin, where mm-hmm. I try and empower people. I try and engage with people on a, a humanistic level. I'm more yeah. about the, I'm more about the softer skills. Yeah, I'm more about the person developing yeah. the person, and hopefully, if you develop the person, then you're creating a real good atmosphere of people who are empowered to do more. Because mm-hmm. you, as a leader, have got time for individuals. You're going out and a little bit more of a limp. Than, yeah. than, than most and I think as you say you can almost now looking back see over the last 20 years how leadership has changed from one to the other and then we talk a lot more about authenticity don't we and yeah. vulnerability and you want you want to understand that your leaders get get you where where you are and quite often have, have been where you are and, and walked the walk that you're walking and if someone's standing at the front barking out orders you you don't get that at all um, yeah. the authenticity thing is, you know, we, we want, we want to see what people are really like and we want them to bring that to their leadership because it's, it's much more inspiring and much more relatable, um, to, uh, to people and to, to teams. So I, I guess that shift you can, you can really see from, from the, uh, from the nineties football, early nineties football yeah. and onwards has, has shifted a fair bit. L- looking at other changes in football, you, um, I was reading earlier that, Last year, you mentioned about the um, changes in race relations in football, um, but specifically with management and just your um, 
you, you didn't you didn't think that at the moment there'd be a, a much of a chance for a diverse England manager, and there's still a long way to go in terms of of management. Um, is uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and your experiences with that? Yeah, just look if you look at um, the stats, you know, that have been ongoing for so many years. And you look at the Premier League, I still think I think there's something like, you know, probably nine um, black managers have been involved in the Premier League since its, you know, birth date, which was 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of the nine, I think three of those were caretaker managers. Um, you look across the league now, and we're still woeful in terms of numbers who are going into management yet there's nearly 40% of players are playing the game from an ethnicity point of view. And so the numbers just don't add up. And so when you're on that journey of trying to become a manager, um, and I think this is why my journeys took me so many other places other than just management courses, is because you've got to be adaptable. Because the reality is, it's going to be a tough journey for somebody of colour to have a fair crack crack at the whip. Mm. Um, things are getting better but as always with these things it's very slow and as I said to um, a campaigner this weekend you know there's there's only so much time you can wait and that's why for me it's about you know trying to go okay where do you see yourself in another year two years and move again as opposed to just continue to wait for something to happen you might as well Mm. make something happen do you, do you ever see the the speed of change accelerating? No, because it, it's very um, very clever in, in the way that um, the, the 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 denial process the the bridges are, are taken away from you. There's always something. There's always some kind of commission or report that will take another five years. Yeah, and then you know that's five years of someone's career, and then there will be a. Um, some kind of um, program that'll be another five five years, and then that program didn't work out. So we're gonna, and there's always something, as opposed to saying, okay, let's just stop this rubbish and let's sort it out. Where do yeah. we need to get to the touch points? Yeah, and I think football has a real role to play in wider society, isn't it? Just because it's um, watched in pretty much every household in the country, it has the opportunity to to really shift and and lead. On a, a lot of the discrimination that we see in wider society as well, you just think, come on, if if football can't be pioneering in this area, with the a number of exceptional black athletes and you know, managers as well that you see coming through and just not getting the chances, if, if if that's not an opportunity to lead for the for the wider society, I don't know what is, uh, yeah. which makes it, I guess, a bit more frustrating, even more frustrating. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree with you. So with with you, I think. Football's got the power to change. It's in every country. It's in majority of households. Um, you know, the young, the old. You know, no matter what ethnicity, culture, gender, disability you are, mm. it's accessible to all, and everybody's watching it. And so, it's a powerful tool. Um, I know one of my neighbours who's, who's white um, was walking, and I bumped into them walking the dog, and they said to me, "You won't believe what my five-year-old's done this morning." I was like, "Oh, what's that?" And they were playing in the back garden and they were mocking the start of a game. And the five-year-old said, well done a minute, Dad. I need to go down on my knee first. And his dad said, why are you going down a knee? And he said, because Black Lives Matter. And it's so powerful, that football, you know, that that um, 
process this five-year-old's taken is huge that this five-year-old is yeah. now recognised that black life does matter. Yeah. And so, you know, football is really powerful and if it's used in the right way, yeah. then it can make considerable change. And I know this is uh, one of those questions that probably requires an, an hour-long response. What are some of the, the first steps to accelerate that change? Is it is it all from the top? Is there anything that, that not just play, players or staff, but is there anything that supporters can do to help bring this huge shift that is that is needed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's an accountability to everyone. So let me give you an example. If I'm, if I'm crossing... If I'm a black male, if I'm crossing the road and I see an Asian woman getting mugged or a white old lady getting mugged, I'm going to do something. Now, just because that may not be a group or characteristic that I recognise with, doesn't mean it's not my problem. I'm as much a problem if I don't do nothing, if I see something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean to say you've got to go out there and be confrontational, because I understand we don't want that. What I'm saying yeah. is, if it's wrong, it's wrong, and we need to yeah. call it out. And and so for 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 me, I think everybody's as a point as as a process to play in making this world a better place. That's the ultimate goal for me is to make the, this world a better place for our mm. children. That you know they can live in a world where, irrespective of you know who you are, there's opportunities um, depending on your skill sets. Yeah. No, nobody should be denied any opportunity just based on the characteristic this person has. And, and so for me, I think, yes, there's there's a role that fans and everybody can play in it. And I think, yes, the senior leadership teams are the ones that really need to start looking at their processes um, to see if there is um, diverse uh, diversity at the top level of their table to yeah. make it a more diverse environment and encourage those yeah. others that possibly may look at your organisation and go, well, what chance have I got? That drives yeah. schools, that drives education, that drives behaviour, just a thought process that somebody can. There was a Chinese gentleman that won, um, I think he, I think he was, uh, it might have been Japanese, he won the, the um, Open the other night. And one of the first things he said was, it's great because now I can... Um, be that role model for so many youngsters yeah. from my culture who might have yeah. looked the same on, on Saturday for the lady what won the um, Grand National. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful stories like that, that people need to be at the top of their, their game, their industry, see leaders, to be able to really encourage others. Yeah. They too would have an opportunity based on the fact that you're up there in terms of qualifications needed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There has been a bit of discussion about the, the value of taking the knee before games. What's your thought and opinion on, on the value of it? I think there's two points to this. I think, number one, the reason that there's, let's get this right, it's not about the action. It's about mm. the purpose. That what the game is saying, players are saying, is, is enough's enough. Um, so I, 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 I want to get that cleared up with the knee. Yeah. So there's a re- there's a reason there's a purpose behind whatever action they're taking. However, you choose to show that you show empathy with that, whether it's Wilfred Zaha standing up, yeah, or you know players continue to take the knee. I am still cool with it. I'd rather players still take the knee, and I'll tell you why. People might say that it's lost its value, it's lost its purpose, but I've just told you what's happened with a five year old. 
And I can guarantee you as well that when the fans come back, those that don't agree with this, there's going to be noises. Of, you know, fans will probably boo. Yeah. But also around the world, you know, there's people that are switching the TV on in America, um, Canada, wherever you are, you're still seeing this. You still recognise this, this, this movement. So it's still keeping it on the agenda. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, what next? Yeah. So th- there's got to be a purpose to it. What next from Sky, Premier League, the EFL, the FA? What are you going to do to make sure that um, Black Lives do matter? Is mm-hmm. it more diversity in, in your senior leadership? We're at the moment across all governing bodies. I don't recognise anybody who looks like me in senior leadership positions. Yet, yeah. there's, yet there's 40%. And that was right away through not just the men's game, the women's game as well. Yeah. Um, opportunities at management level, more fairer processes for, for for interviews. So there's a number of things that potentially can be done. Is is it or the club signing up um, and coming off social media for a week? Yeah. To show the, these platforms. Yeah. Um, that might be a way to say to the players, we're with you. And this is yeah. what we're going to do to show our level of support. Or those all that money, all that um, connections that we have with the social media platforms for a week, for a month, mm-hmm. we're not going to go on it to show them unless they do something about their processes, Yeah, then we'll come off. Yeah. So there has to be something from the game that encourages players to come off the knee. Yeah. And I guess this links a little bit to what we're talking about in terms of faith and, and the need for action and people seeing the value of what you're doing through through your actions through the fruit that it's bearing and if 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 you don't have that action and that change then everything becomes pointless doesn't it well, is it faith without works is dead exactly you, yeah you, there's no way that you could be just saying on an advert and with your i'm in yeah but what next yeah yeah you know it's it's not enough yeah the tokenism as i said to you the the gestures around you know the the, the whatever thing they're going to use to analyze the environment you know the we've all, we've had enough it's yeah it, 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 and it is really enough is enough and uh, we we know the problems we know the issues just sort them out yeah yeah sure and, and it can and it can be done yeah yeah you you mentioned your frustration with um kind of management and recruitment processes in in the past um Obviously, the, it's been widely documented that in America you have the, the Rooney Rule in uh, in the NFL, where um, I think is it is it one uh, non-white um, interviewer uh, or interviewee yeah. has to be chosen for each one. It, it, is that something that we might see in football, and would that help? Yes. Uh, before, you, so you mentioned my um, frustrations. My frustrations were then. I'm not frustrated anymore because I, I honestly believe. I am where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 this was ordained for me to be sat down here yeah. talking with you at this particular moment in time. Yeah. So if that's the way God intended it, I'm cool with that. What I would say is that um, I definitely think that the processes around the recruitment of managers, coaches needs to be severely looked at. Mm-hmm. You know, and not just from your right, the interview process should have somebody of ethnicity within that interview process, but also how football recruits. You know, we all know how football recruits. Manager gets sacked tomorrow, another manager's in. 
well, how are you supposed to get a fair process if that's the way football recruits so quickly? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there needs to be more thought around how the football clubs recruit to allow a more fairer, transparent recruitment process. Sure. And we just spoke a bit about the Black Lives Matter in the in the context of football there. But outside of football and in wider society, how have you found the shifts in the last 12 months with everything that's that's happened um, with racial injustice being at the forefront of the media for, for better or for worse and then uh, the various protests, etc.? So outside of football, how, how have you viewed the last 12 months and uh, would you say progress has, has been made in that in that context? Yeah, 100%. I think there's been a lot of um, organisations, companies now reviewing you know, their, their workforce, their senior leadership team, reviewing that their recruitment processes and encouraging more people from a diverse background to get involved in, in trying to, uh, you know, access jobs. Um, I think there's definitely been a push. You know, we, we look at what's happened in football, and I know you mentioned outside football, but even the PFA, who's um, potentially taken on their, their, well, I was going to say their first black um, CEO, but it's probably the first CEO anyway since Gordon because he's been in situ for so long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a number of organisations now which are taking diversity a lot more seriously. It was such a shame that it had to cost somebody's life for this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people, um, and probably me included, you knew it was going on, but just kind of buried it, just got on with life. Yeah. But I think this has really um, prompted discussion, healthy discussions, sometimes heated discussions, but discussions that have to happen for it to yeah. move it move to a more positive place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it will be, as, as you alluded to, it'll be interesting when fans are back on the terraces because... You will have some who, um, for whatever reason, want to boo taking the knee. And I think Millwall did that, didn't they, in um, yeah. in one of the games where you had a few fans in. But also, I think because of the shifts in wider society, and I include myself in this, you know, my, my attitude when I go back to watch football or in any context is, is to be far less passive in these moments. Yeah. And so the shift that wider society has seen you know, we talked about the influence that football can have on society. I'm also hoping that for the um, just for the idiots who are going to boo, for every idiot who's going to boo, there's another 10 people who in the last 12 months have yeah. seen the um, the need for change and seen the urgency for, to no longer just sit, sit by and, and, and uh, shrug the shoulders or sit by and just be yeah. a little bit kind of frozen. Oh, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to help the situation. I, I feel like there has been a bit of shift. Yeah. for myself and Abs- some people I know. And ho- hopefully that will have an impact and football and society can kind of keep giving each other the level up a little bit that, that they need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the sort of society, the kind of culture that we can create in terms of you know, more more accountability to how we see things, how we see the world and not just mm. to be passive. And by the way, you know, I'm going to tell you, I, I've been passive at times. Mm. Um, so it's not just you know it, you know more of an encouragement for people who are white yeah. or Asian. It's also people who are black to to stand up and and be yeah. be accountable. If you hear it and you see it, you call it out for what it is. Yeah, yeah. And do you have any advice for people you know from any background and context who are who are moving from being slightly more passive to wanting to be 
more active, you know, maybe there's people listening to, to this who are on that journey as well. Do you have any advice on how we can do that to become more active? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think there's, you know, if it's somebody that you know, you know, I, I wouldn't want anybody to be confrontational, but you can also pull people up with love, you know, mm-hmm. and just, 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 you know, just be curious about, do you mind, you know, not saying that again or, you know, excuse me, I don't take kindly to that kind of, you know, words or behaviour. Mm. And if it's something a bit more aggressive, then obviously, you know, whether it's in a, in a football place where you've got to alert the security or there's, I now I know, I know that there's apps where you can actually report somebody from the safety of your own seat um, yeah. or, or actually go and call the police if it's that alarming or tell a teacher if you're that young. My mm. point being is, you know, whoever you are now, you don't have to be, um, you know, feel like, oh, I can't do anything about this. And the mm. world's the world's moved so much in terms of there's so much diversity now within people's own families. So I could be talking to you and I don't know that you might have, you know, somebody who's of ethnicity within your or in your family, somebody mm. who's homosexual in your family, somebody who's disabled in your family. So the world has moved. So it's not just the individual now that you're confronting. You just don't know that even though somebody may not look like you, actually there's somebody connected them in their yeah. family who they love or a close friend that they feel empowered to say, no, nah, my friend or my family shouldn't be hearing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's an important step, isn't it? It's it's calling those moments out as, you know, sometimes as kind of scary as those moments can be when you think oh because you know it's for some people they're our close friends or even our family and previously you've noticed these moments and you've let them pass and now is is the difficult time of of stepping out and saying look that's not okay you know we've all done it me included and and you know this year is something that I've definitely raised my hand up and said one of the things I'm going to be strong and I pray for God to give me the strength to do yeah. is now to call out behaviours wherever I am. So even in a in a boardroom at senior leadership level in a football club, yeah. if I hear and see in it, I'm going to call it out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So just just looking to your future now, Michael. What's what's next for you? What are you doing at the moment that uh, people connect can connect with with you on? Um, so at the minute I am a, I am a sporting director for Limerick Football Club. Yeah, and I'm also an England under twenty one coach. Um, we've just been knocked out of the Euro under twenty one tournament, so a little on bit, goal difference, right? Yeah, licking my wounds on that one a little bit. Yeah, and we had to go win the game, but win it by two clear goals. Yeah, and yeah. Ninetieth minute, we're winning two 0 and yeah. there's, there's an amazing strike from thirty yards, yeah, the back of the net, and we're out of the tournament. So yeah, so yeah, and those um, fine margins are quite incredible, aren't they? Like I imagine as oh. a coach and a manager and a and a player, those you know ninetieth minute two 0 up you're in you know split second later you're out that must be a challenging moment at world level like that at the elite level the slightest you know mistake you're punished like you said you've got to have concentration right until the the whistle blows you know and you know this wasn't even a lack of concentration it was just an unbelievable strike yeah and and you know we're out of a major tournament which is you Mm. know gave you a lot of media a lot of talking points so yeah, yeah so that's one of my roles with the 21s and I've just taken a role over in Ireland to go and rebuild a football club called Limerick yeah. and, and so yeah. that's what's going to keep me occupied over the next year or so 
Great. And can I can I push you for a Euros 2021 prediction? How do you think we'll do? I I honestly think this is could be a dis- deciding year for us. I think we could win it. And I think one of the things why I say that is not only because we had a fantastic World Cup campaign in Russia, um, but also the games are in it. A lot of the games are here. Mm. So a lot of the games England could be, could play, could yeah. be at the, you know, at home in England and and if we can get the crowds back in and, and kind of, you know, rebuild. I don't know if anybody remembers Euro 96, that kind of yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, it yeah. Could, it, it could really, you know, pull the boys home, home to get a good um, a good tournament. So I, I think we could win it. It was great chatting to Michael there. What stood out to you guys listening into that conversation? I just loved that story that he shared of his neighbour's kid uh, playing football in the garden and taking that time to kneel before playing. And when I asked, like, why are you doing that? He just responded, because Black Lives Matter. I think it's like, it's a really simple thing. And it's like you were saying earlier, Dan, sometimes we kind of kind of look at things as like, is that just kind of like a symbol or is it like actual action? But I think, you know, at that base level, being able to communicate to like a child that this is something that's important, I think it's incredible. Yeah, definitely. I think linked to that, for me, just the realisation of how football can influence society because it is everywhere and so many people watch it and so many people are involved I think it's a reminder how when we're passionate about certain areas and we're passionate about justice uh, using spheres of influence in a way where we're looking at um, or targeting things that are so deeply rooted in society can bring about more change it's looking at where those leverage points are and I think we have seen that as we, again as we said earlier um, in football's influence on society in the whole taking the knee thing where millions and millions of people tuning in to watch these games every week have seen that and so week in week out in their minds Black Lives Matter has been at, at the forefront and so I think I think that's been um, been one of the good things to see and I think it also teaches us you know where else are these kind of levers in society where if we focus on a particular area the output will be greater just because of the influence of that thing within society. Yeah I love what he said about um, the greatest leader of all time being Jesus um, because it's so true that like, Jesus has actually shown us already how to live he's shown us how we are meant to operate in our everyday lives he's shown us how we lead other people and are in relationship with other people and respond to other people and we can actually bring all of those values with us into our work whatever sphere and whatever that may be we can bring those values with us it doesn't have to be just if you're working for a church um so yeah i love that kind of principle great thanks guys for joining me today and thank you to those listening in we'll be back again with another episode on the 10th of may if you like what you heard today make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at we are tear fund